You're listening to Access and Expand, conversations that offer you access to information that expands your mind. I'm your host, Tiffany Curran. I decided I wanted to do something called Tuesday Dips. I know it sounds silly. I don't know. I felt like dipping into conversations very briefly would give people the opportunity to decide if it was something that they wanted to look into a little further. So dipping made sense, I guess. So this is the first one. And the reason why I um, wanted this topic to be the first one is because it sort of starts my story. So um, every time I do a breathwork circle, I'm a breathwork healer, um, I tell my story. I tell people why I got into breathwork. I tell them why breathwork changed my life and the ways in which it changed my life. And then I explain how the breath works. And it resonated with so many people and continues to resonate with so many people um, that at some point I realized I had to write it down so that I could reach more people who didn't get to the breathwork circle yet, you know, because they got to the breathwork circle and then they heard why I was doing it. So that was good, but they already they were there. They already got one foot in the water. But I thought if people who had no idea what breathwork was could read my story and say, oh, this is what I want to try, then, you know, it really opens it up a lot. So I wrote my story for Elephant Journal, and I shared it out, and it did really well. And when it does really well, Elephant Journal will have their editors, you know, take the story and they'll retitle it. They'll change some photos and they'll put it into like a higher feed thing, right? So like you go into a bigger audience. So when they did this, they changed my title of my story. I don't remember what it originally was. And I'll tell you what the story was about. But first, let me tell you that the title was something like the practice that, uh, you know, reduced my addiction to Xanax and booze. And when I saw that, I was like, well, this is really like, you know, it's a real like in your face sort of drama kind of topic, you know, like that's not what it felt like to me. To me, it felt like I was living in anxiety and I was starting to go to the point where it wasn't manageable. And so as I was moving towards unmanageable, I started to manage it with Xanax and with vodka before bed. And I knew that I wasn't living on the streets. I wasn't a, an, an addict in the sense of the the word when you see when you hear addict and you you have this image of someone who's potentially living on the streets and you know um, not being able to show up in life, which I I have to say now knowing that's not the truth for addicts, right? But um, I felt like I was just using a lot of Xanax, but I was alright. I was driving. I was you know being present with my family and. You know, a vodka before bed, doesn't everybody do that? Right. But they were right. I was addicted to Xanax and I was addicted to 
to having a drink before bed. And so my Xanax addiction wasn't anything major. It was a 0.25, started off once a day, then it was like maybe two times a day. If I was panicking, maybe I'd take another. Um, And then I would, you know, have a drink before bed. Like I remember people calling it a nightcap or having, you know, I need a drink to just like mellow out. It's all very accepted that way. You know, it's accepted when it appears to look like it fits a picture. So when they when they put that title out, I really struggled and I felt really angry um, that they, they, they said I was addicted. But I realized that I was. So, um, so the story goes, and this is a very short version, and I will put the link to Elephant Journal below. Um, and I'm willing to expand my story to anyone who wants to listen. But um, the way my story goes is I was just always living in anxiety. As a kid, I had, you know, like really difficult um, OCD. And what that looked like was turning the, the light switch on and off until I felt that my fingers had touched equal sides a certain amount of times. I'm sorry, I'm recording at home if you hear that um, in the background, that stuff in the background. So, um, so I had to sleep with the TV on because I was afraid of silence. And as I got older, I had to sleep with um, a friend on the phone. So when I was a kid, even in high school, we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have social media. We didn't have Snapchat. So I couldn't just connect So I had to call someone and connect that way. And um, when I went to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I would run from my door to the bathroom thinking that I might get killed in the process of going from the bathroom to the door for no real reason. You know, no one was out to kill me in my home. So all these things, you know, led me to becoming the kind of person I didn't drink in high school. I smoked cigarettes a little bit, but it started to put me towards finding a way to mask what was going on. And the masking started with drinking in college, and it was all very accepted because they say that's what kids do, right? But actually that's where habits form. So um, so I started drinking and never really used drugs. Um, and it pretty much would managed my life, but I always had panic attacks. I remember in my early 20s feeling like I couldn't talk. I felt frozen. And I remember calling my ex-husband, who was then my boyfriend, and saying like, hey, I'm at Elaine's. Like, come over. He knew that I would go into these panic states. Sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night. My body was still. I couldn't move, but my, my mind was awake i feel my heart pounding. I'd feel nauseous. I'd have to crawl to the bathroom. And I always thought I was dying of a heart attack or a stroke or having an aneurysm. It was all anxiety. I had no idea why. And I had been in therapy from something like age 19 to like, I don't know, two years ago. Uh, so mid-40s. And, um, you know, I understood. I started to break down what was going on in my life as a child and growing up. 
I ex experienced abuse. Um, I experienced sexual violations. I experienced um, a lot of feelings of abandonment, feeling not good enough. You know, there's a lot. And so all those things created tension in my body and somatic injury that was trying to protect me from being hurt again. But that protection, the feeling of don't do this and don't do that so you don't get hurt, was so overwhelming that it felt like I was a prisoner in my body. But I didn't even know that consciously. So I would just operate in what does she think? What does she think? What do they think all the time? So if I was having a conversation with somebody, I'd think, do they think I'm smart or stupid? Do they think I'm loud, too quiet, obnoxious, fat? Should I shut up? Should I talk? And all of those those monitors, the self-monitoring that was going on, all those messages coming through made me feel so disengaged from life that I was actually looking at myself and trying to figure out what to do. And that puts me into a state of panic. And so then I wouldn't even be able to hear what the person was saying. And then they would start to notice. And then what? So then all the fear comes in and the anxiety and I didn't know how to get away. So I started limiting my social behavior to only when I was drinking. I have a pregame, you know, a little, how do we have a drink before I leave? Go to the party, drink, 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 drink. Um, and then I didn't feel that anxiety because I was masked. So, but at some point, um, I had some stuff happen in my life, some physical stuff. I lost hearing in my right ear about 70% and got vertigo. And I wanted to die, but I wasn't able to take my life because I have a family and I knew I was responsible for that. So I... Um, Someone said to me, I've never seen you this miserable before. You need to try Xanax. You need something to calm this anxiety. And I was terrified to take it. thought it would close my lungs and kill me because I was afraid of everything. But it worked. And so the next day I went to my doctor and asked for Xanax. And that's where it began. And I was on Xanax for years, a 0.25. At some point I asked for a 0.5 saying I needed more, but just so I could break it in half so I had twice as many. So 30 pills essentially became 60. And um, I was on Xanax for years, and I was drinking on Xanax. I was also drinking to go to sleep. If I could avoid the Xanax at night and just drink, I did that so that I had more Xanax for during the day. And um, at some point, um, my doctor got sick, and I had to find a new doctor. So when the new doctor looked at my history and saw what I was doing in terms of the Xanax, and I was actually really honest about the alcohol because why not, right? Didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Socially, the people I was hanging around with drank every night, wine with dinner, a nightcap. So it didn't seem to me that I was hiding anything. And so when she saw this habit that I developed, she said, you know, you can't do this anymore. This is not okay. It's a benzo, whatever it is, a benzo. And it's addicting, and it actually changes your brain, the way your brain works. Um, so I had a month to figure out what to do, and she offered me to try some SSRIs. I know a lot of people on them. I'm, you know, whatever is for everybody else, but I knew wasn't something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to have something systemic for the rest of my life that I had to depend on to get through the day. 
And so I'd heard about breathwork months before, maybe even a year before. And um, I was terrified to do it. And at that moment, around that week, whatever, the person who I had heard it from had posted that she was offering breathwork. Um, she was facilitating. And I was terrified, and I said, I'll do it. And after I said I'd do it, I thought, oh, shit, what did I sign up for? And I looked up Erin Telford, who was her teacher, who was also my teacher. That's just a side note. Um, and I saw she had a you know recorded video about breathwork. And as I started to watch, I was like, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to know. I was terrified at the concept of opening Pandora's box. Like, the last thing I wanted to do was open a can of worms. But I had no choice. You know, I was at the end of my rope in terms of availability. And I was starting to feel like, can I get this like on the market? You know, can I buy it from somebody? I was desperate. And, um, and so I tried breath work with a lot of Xanax in my body. And it was okay. And she was kind of surprised because I didn't really react. I mean, I, I talked a lot through it. Like, am I supposed to have a dry mouth? My hands tingly, blah, blah, blah. But I was really just sort of masked, you know, a little drugged up on Xanax. So um, I kept going and going. And then I tried to take a little less Xanax to see if it was okay. And it was, you know, it's activating. This breath, breath work is activating. It's not calming. But I was okay. And so I just start, kept going, you know. And um, eventually I started to not need Xanax. And um, I looked deeper and found that Aaron Telford at the time was offering a course called Sacred Terrain, and I jumped in on that. So I was doing my private breath work with my facilitator. I was doing Sacred Terrain. I was doing some circles, going to breathwork circles. Aaron had some in the city. She was doing breathwork and sound with Sarah Oster. I was doing that. I was terrified, by the way. But I did it. And every time I did it, I released so much. I felt all of my emotions coming up, my tears, my anger, my sadness, grief, disappointment, all of the things, and allowed my space to open, to receive it all. And, you know, the breathwork circles are really welcoming and allowing that we call for a yell. We allow for tears and laughter and whatever has to come up is always welcome. And that allowance in the community gave me the space to be free and the space to really be sad and not be called dramatic, not be told to stop crying, not be hushed. It's okay. And it, I wasn't told that I needed to be fixed. I was allowed to be myself. And what I learned through that process was that Breathwork allows you to open up and release old traumas and negative um, messages, messages that hold you back that were originally set up by yourself or maybe given to you by somebody else at a younger age where it was meant to protect you. So, for example, if I think I would laugh really loud, so this is my laugh, <laughs> and I would laugh so loud and someone would say, shh. God, you're so loud, or you're obnoxious, or what, who is that? And I didn't want to feel bad again. So instead of feeling bad, I would just monitor, is someone around who's going to say, don't laugh so loud? 
and that monitor would steal my joy. And it was sitting in my body. And it wasn't something that I was consciously doing. It was something that was happening. And so with breath work, all those things, the time that maybe your parent forgot to pick you up at school or didn't know school got out early and you were waiting, feeling abandoned and lost and alone. Maybe you sent the message, I'm not going to trust that I'll be picked up. And maybe um, the time that you were crying at six weeks old and your mother was cooking food and couldn't pick you up, maybe you felt abandoned and you stopped crying and you learned your cries wouldn't be heard. So all those messages aren't real now, right? So, But they block and protect us from being hurt. And so when we go into the breath, we can say to our body, it's safe now. I'm here to stand up for me. You don't have to protect me anymore. You can go. You can release the energy. And this is not something that consciously happens. Usually when you're in breath work, like when I'm working one-on-one or in a circle, I guide people to do that. When I go to circles, my friends, Chris and Steven in the city, have a breathwork circle that I try to attend at least once a month. And they guide the group through the release. So that's what we do as breathwork facilitators. But at the time, I wasn't a breathwork facilitator. I was just doing the the work, doing the practice, and really engaged. So um, the person who was holding space for me at the time said, I don't think you should do the training. I don't think you're ready. But I really wanted to do it. So I went up to Wanderlust in Vermont, and I took Erin's breathwork, and I asked her what she thought about me taking the, the training. And what she said to me was the greatest thing that anyone had ever said to me on my path. She said, I don't know if it's for you, but what's it going to hurt to, you know, try the training? She said, breathe into it, see how you feel. If you want to try it, try it. And if you don't like it, what did you lose, right? You lost a few days of training and you got deeper in your practice. And so I did. I took training with Aaron Telford in Brooklyn And it was really scary to show up. And there were, I think, about 40 other people, 40 plus, I think it was 42, in the room, some of whom are now my best friends, um, but I didn't know them then. And um, we started holding space for each other. Um, We had to talk about who we were. It's like all throat opening and heart opening stuff. And it just showed me that it was the way You know, and I was always so afraid that I would see someone crying or screaming and go into that pain with them or be triggered by it. But I was taught how to hold space, how to stay in my own energy and allow the person working the space to heal and just hold space for them. So I went to the training and loved it and started doing one-on-ones and then went out to L.A. to train with David Elliott to learn how to hold space for groups and I'm going back to L.A. And at the end of September to finish my training. So um, I, I think that it's really important to be mindful and aware of the fact that we have the power to harness our breath and to use this beautiful pattern of breathing to allow ourselves the space to release 
to let go of the things that are holding us back, the messages, the energy, the somatic injury, and just let it go and be ourselves wholly and completely and be able to live our life in a way that feels meaningful and honest and open without fear, with a lot of peace and not needing any drama. And so I, within a few months, I was not using Xanax at all. And then in January, I stopped drinking. And it wasn't like a big thing. There was an incident. I left uh, Marco Polo for a friend, and I was drunk. And when I saw it the next day, I thought, I never want to do this again. I never want to look like this again. I never want to present like this again. So I took a break from drinking for a while, and then I you know, had a glass of wine with my dad, and I was like, yeah, I don't want this anymore. You know, I had tried to have a glass of wine here or there, and I was like, this just doesn't even resonate. It wasn't that I wanted it and pushed it away. It was that I no longer aligned with the feeling of blurring the lines. You know, if I'm in alignment with wanting to be whole and healing and honest and open and authentic, I want to feel everything. And I used to think that drinking was just you know, softening the edges, but it's not softening the edges. It's blurring and distorting the life that I'm living. And I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that anymore. So I finally said, I'm letting this go. You know, I'm letting it go. If I decide I want to drink again, I can do that, but I don't. And not drinking has sort of allowed me to walk away from the addiction I had to sugar. I still have sugar every once in a while, but it, this practice shifted my whole life, I would say in less than six months. And it didn't feel like it was difficult. It wasn't always easy. And there were definitely tears and moments of sadness. And um, my teacher, Erin, I'm in a, in a um, mentorship program with her in a group. And we were talking about sometimes when you move from one place to the other, there's a gap, right? So if you're, let's pretend, in alcohol, in, in AA, you start off your drinking and then you're not. So when you, you go from drinking to not drinking, your friends change sometimes, but you have a new community built into the, those meetings, right? But so when you go from being out of alignment and dramatic and overwhelmed to being at peace and being in line with what feels good and being connected to spirit... You know, there's sometimes that gap where you feel a little alone, and I for sure felt that. I was grateful for the breath, the breathwork community that I was building through my trainings and at circles, and now facilitating groups. I'm building more of a community, and so many of the people I met at trainings are really close friends, and they're not all in the area, but we Marco Polo each other. If you don't know what that is, I'll put it below, and it's a really awesome way to connect with people. Um, and I'm building this beautiful life that was so, it was so available to me all the time, but I was so afraid to look because I was living in a life that was foggy. And so, and the fog didn't even come from the Xanax and the alcohol. The Xanax and the alcohol were a byproduct of being fogged by anxiety, insecurity, fear, you know, lack of awareness, needing drama to feel important, to be seen, um, not wanting to show up with my real voice, so putting on a persona, 
not getting my needs met. You know, that was fog. And then the response to the fog was, let's dull the shit that doesn't feel good. So I did that. But now it's clear. And I'm always healing. I'm working on so many things right now in my life that are still in the process of healing. We're always in process. And so I learned that if I shared my story through my Instagram feed or blog posts or posts in Elephant Journal, maybe someone would read it and say, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not weird, right? This word weird, crazy. There are words that aren't real, right? So we're all going through this human experience ourselves, and we're all doing it in our own way, and we all have stuff. But when we allow the stuff to take over, we allow the stuff to create walls and barriers and piles to step over, life becomes harder. So the breath clears the space and takes you back to the awareness of your beautiful, perfect soul, removing the messages that make you feel less than, not good enough, afraid, and worthless. And so... When I share my stories, I recently shared a story about um, being held captive, almost being raped. And a lot of people were like, I'm so sorry you went through this. I'm so sorry you went through this. And I was like, oh, God, that wasn't really what I wanted people to feel. But I can't control what people feel, right? So maybe I presented it wrong. Um, But then a friend of mine, Trish, wrote like, thank you for your courage and strength. So Trish is also a breathwork healer, and she's in um, Maryland. Um, I'll connect anyone who wants to be connected with her out in Maryland, D.C. area. But so she understood, like, I was coming from a place of having alchemized the pain. And it wasn't something that I felt sad about or angry about. It was a story of something that happened to me, and I wanted you all to know that it happens to people all the time. And we need to be mindful of the people in our lives, and if they're going through something... Instead of saying, it'll be okay, or shh, stop crying, it's okay, you're fine. Instead of that, starting to let them feel their pain, starting to say to them, I know, let it out. Starting to witness what they're going through without judgment or without trying to fix it. And I'm hoping that the people that are going through things come to me and say, Can you show me this breath? I'm ready to start doing breath work. I'm ready to practice this beautiful active meditation. And if you're not in a place of injury or trauma, breath work is still powerful because we always have things. We have times that the teacher calls us out when we're in second grade and makes us feel bad or when we're not invited to a party or when someone laughs because our genes make us look fat, or when we cry and someone turns their back, right? There's always something. And we can deepen our sense of awareness. And the deeper we go, the deeper we go. So it, it's never done, but it does get really comfortable. You know, it's really comfortable for me to breathe because I know I'm going to be releasing and clearing and feeling light afterward. So that's my story. That's how I found breathwork. I highly recommend 
reading David Elliott's books. He has two, Healer and the Reluctant Healer, looking at his website, looking at my teacher Erin's website. She does a lot of um, groups when she travels around. She's in, based out of L.A. right now, but she does come to the city. Um, I'm based out of New Jersey, right outside New York City. Um, and my website, if you want to find out more, it's my name, Tiffany Curran. And I'll have all the links below to social media and stuff. My social media is not fake. And it's all for a purpose. So you'll be seeing stuff that will really... My intention, at least, is for you to connect in some way with it. So, um, you know, I'd love to connect with you. If this resonated with you and you want to talk to me, you can always email me. My email is my name. It's Tiffany at TiffanyCurran.com. And um, check back on Tuesdays. I'm going to be doing different dips on Tuesdays. So... You know, I'll, I'll dip a little deeper into my, my relationship with alcohol. I'll dip a little deeper into how I lost my hearing and the, the gaslighting relationship I was in and how that affected my life. I'll talk to you about money and I'll talk to you about my relationship with my three rescue dogs and how my dogs are sort of the bomb, the B-A-L-M, the bomb for, you know, when I'm feeling a little alone. I'll talk about friendships and connections, and I'll talk about boundary violations and abuse, abandonment, education, and why I think you should let your kids do whatever you want, whatever they want, as long as they're healthy. You know, we, we want to create people that do what we do, or do what we didn't do, or do what we want to do. That's our relationships, our children, our partners. But that's really not ours to do. So I'll talk about all these things on the coming Tuesdays. Not every Tuesday, but most. I'll try to do two a month, but I might do four a month. <laughs> and I'll always let you know on Instagram and on Facebook and you, if you sign up to get alerts on uh, SoundCloud, you'll know when they come up. And uh, I'm also on Spotify. So I love you. Whoever you are, I love you because I know that your soul came in pure and wanting to be loved and wanting to be at peace and wanting to be happy. And wherever you are now, whatever brought you to this place, you can start to release it. By just trying the breath. And if you're interested in trying right now, you're feeling really motivated, I have a seven-minute breathwork practice that you can do. It's here on the SoundCloud and on Spotify. You can look it up. Lay down somewhere comfortable and get ready to see your life start to shift. One breath at a time. Oh, and the guitar behind me, courtesy of my son who's upstairs playing the guitar. Have a beautiful night, and I'll be talking to you soon.